We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. on Fubo Sports Network. Follow us on all social media at Fubo Sports. Welcome on into Ball is Back, College Hoops Edition. I'm Julie Stewart-Banks, and I could not be more excited for the NCAA tournament to finally get underway. The madness that March brings us fans cannot be replicated. But what's it like for the student athletes that are grinding it out for a month? Well, to help answer that and a whole lot more, we are thrilled to be able to have three former college basketball superstars with us. Donnie Marshall, Crystal Dangerfield, and Richard Jefferson. Let's get right to it. All right, I'm very excited to be joined by my next guest, who is a former NBA champion with the Cleveland Cavaliers, basketball analyst with ESPN, and was a finalist in the 2001 NCAA tournament with the Arizona Wildcats, none other than Richard Jefferson. RJ, thank you so much for joining us here today to talk all things college hoops. How are you doing? I am outstanding. I'm so excited to talk college basketball right now. Uh, unfortunately, my Wildcats will not be in attendance, but that just means that there's opportunities for everybody else to succeed since we aren't there. Yeah, many opportunities. There's a, a whole bunch of different schools that are competing for the first time as well. We are we're seeing it on Selection Sunday, like these these kids that have never gotten to taste it before. What is that moment like when you 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 hear your school's name called, but then you also find out who you get to play? It's it's so surreal. And and part of the reason why I love it is because everybody's experience is very, very different, right? When you have a Belmont or you have a, you know, a smaller school that this is their first tournament appearance in 10 years, in 12 years, ever. Like there's still schools that are having their first appearance ever. Like that to me is magical. Like my experience was different. Like, I went to University of Arizona because I wanted to win a national championship. They won a national championship right before I got there. So my goal was like, how can I get there? So Selection Sunday for us was different. Not saying that there was an expectation, but there was definitely a, oh, no, 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 this is not what we celebrate, but this is like, this is the moment where you can become an Arizona legend and a college basketball legend. So when our names were called, especially, I, I want to say my freshman year, we were a four seed. And so that like, that started to kind of perk up things. It's like, oh, it's really, really here. And so it was, it, it still to this day brings back so many great memories. I can only imagine, like, what is it when you're watching now, when you watch the games and, and even just watching Selection Sunday, 
as an analyst, as a former player, do you get the shakes? Like, do you feel like you're like back in there right now? How does it feel? It, it, it does because again, when I talk about the experiences for everybody, everybody has the same opportunity. You got one game, you got one shot, that's it. So for me, I just understand that joy uh, that these kids are experiencing. And, you know, I had so many friends that were in other places and guys that I grew up with watching them and like, Again, I say this not to flex, maybe a little bit of flex, but in my three years in college, we were a one seed my or we were a four seed my freshman year. We were a one seed my uh, sophomore year, uh, and then our starting center got hurt. We lost in the second round to Wisconsin. Not that that still bothers me. And then the next year, we were a two seed. So like our experience was like, all right, who do we play? Who are we about to get? Who is else is in our bracket? Because not that you were ever looking, but you kind of look at everything as a whole, mm -hmm. kind of like a state tournament where you're just like, all right, well, they're up there. We're down here. We got to play here. This is where we're going. There's like this mathematical um, you know, process that starts going through your brain while also only focusing in on one game. And I think that's what makes it so much fun. Right. And you've had all these experiences. You mentioned the different years that you were there. What's maybe some of the more vivid memories that stand out that you carry with you to this day? You know, so my first two years, we lost in the first weekend, right? So we lost in, we lost to a Wisconsin team that ended up going to the final four my sophomore year. And my freshman year, we lost, uh, you know, in the first round to Edward Nahara and Oklahoma uh, State, or Oklahoma, Oklahoma, excuse me. But I think what I remember most vividly is my last year in school, my junior year, when we got, we won the first weekend and we got through the first weekend, which was, which was big. You win those first two games going back to school was <laughs> glorious, was glorious. Like you can't even imagine. And then you win another two games, right? Then you go to go back to school. And it's just, it, it's like when you get to go back to school and everybody at Arizona, like basketball is, is a religion, right? It is it, to mm -hmm. me, it's the number one school our number one athletic program in the state. Arizona softball excluded because they are legend. But as far as like basketball and football, it is the right. biggest one in the state. So for going back home, it's just like you walk in and it's just like, oh, they're partying. Kids are no longer going to school anymore. Like part of it kind of covers spring break. So that for me was the best part is after each round going back to school and just people are just going nuts. Teachers aren't teaching anymore. They don't care. Kids don't care. It, it, it's amazing. I hadn't even thought about it in that regard. Like you do come back and you are these superstars that get to walk the hallways and, and everyone is just so involved, especially if your school's involved. Like I grew mm -hmm. up in Canada, we're watching you guys thinking this is the coolest thing. Can't even imagine being at the University of Arizona. Mm -hmm. Take me then to 2001 when you guys are in the final and it doesn't go so well. Unfortunately for you guys, you lose to Duke. What was sort of what's the what's the memory for you in that moment that that stands with you today? Well, there's so many layers that 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 there's so many layers that go through it. And one, like the start of the year, us and Duke was so we were preseason number one in the country. They were preseason number two. They had five preseason All-Americans. We had five preseason All-Americans. So from the beginning of the season, we were looking at each other. We never played each other, but we were always looking at each other. They had Shane Battier, Jason Williams, uh, Chris Duhon, uh, Carlos Boozer. Um, they, 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 they were loaded. Mike Dunleavy. We had myself, Gilbert Arenas, Luke Walton, uh, Michael Wright, Lauren Wood. So we were all loaded with professional players. And so going in 2001, 
uh, Lute Olson, uh, God rest his soul, his wife had passed away that year. So we had a very tumultuous season where it was like we started off number one, then we almost fell out the ranking because we were, you know, our coach and, you know, dealing with that stuff. But he came back right after uh, he came back right after um, the first of the year, a week or two after she passed. And so we had that emotion that was carrying with mm-hmm. us. But once we got to the final four, it was the thing that probably – that I remember most is the one of the last plays before we got on the plane to go play in the final four, Luke Walton breaks his thumb. He breaks his thumb in practice. And so like it needs surgery. So he shoots up his thumb and it, I believe it's on his left hand. And so uh, he shoots up his thumb and he ended up having surgery literally the weekend we got back from school. So this whole time we knew he needed surgery, but it's the final four. Like this is what we all, and it's your thumb. It's not a knee injury. It's not a back injury. It's basically your pain tolerance at this point in time, which his was extremely high. So that, and then Gilbert Arenas, Gilbert Arenas got hurt his hip at the end of the Michigan state game. And I don't, this is not to take any credit away from from Duke at all because they deserve to be the national championship, even though the referees never called any fouls on Jason Williams. Uh, my <laughs> thing would have been more of like, I really wish if we would have been at 100%, I think that that game would have been even more fun. Yeah, that's that's tough looking back on it and all the different sort of challenges and roadblocks at that moment and not walking away with the championship. But you have the memories and you mm-hmm. had all these incredible players that you played with. You mentioned Gilbert Arenas, who's a teammate of ours now here. Congratulations on that. <laughs> Tell us what's uh, you know, what was he like in college on and off the court to to be around and to play with? There's so much to be said. Like I've known Gilbert since he was 15 years old and I was, uh, I think 17 and we were playing in tournaments together and he was always a goofball All like the personality that he had. And looking back when you see guys like him, even myself in the media space, and then you have guys like Luke Walton that are coaching uh, Jason Gardner, who was our, our, our point guard. He's coaching at IUPUI. My former roommate uh, at Arizona, Josh Pastner. He's, you know, just won the ACC title with Georgia Tech. So there was just such a basketball, like, and obviously we're on the University of Arizona campus, but it was just like, there was a, a collection of just people that just loved basketball, that loved mm-hmm. the culture of basketball, that enjoyed teaching, that enjoyed playing. And so having Gilbert there and even myself, Gilbert was definitely a person that would like bring everybody back down. It's like, guys, I know, you know, we're right. just playing basketball, right? And so Gilbert was amazing. One of the most talented people I'd ever been around. Uh, But definitely he kept things interesting on and off the court. Like one of Gilbert's great blessings is that social media was not around when we were in school (laughs) or else I think, I think things could have gone a little bit more differently, but no, Gilbert was a pleasure. And when I say this to all the people watching this, Gilbert will keep anybody on their toes. Does not matter who it is. We've got a whole lot more ahead with Richard Jefferson, and I'll be joined by Crystal Dangerfield and Donnie Marshall. This is Ball is Back, College Hoops Edition. Ball is Back on Fubo Sports Network. Follow us on all social media at Fubo Sports. Ball is back, and so are we. In a moment, I'll be joined by Crystal Dangerfield and Donnie Marshall. But first, let's get to some tourney talk with Richard Jefferson. 
Now you mentioned something with Gilbert Arenas and the idea that it's a good thing that there's no social media then. Well, there's lots of social media now. We know that uh, these kids become just the center of the universe, whether you're a sports fan or beyond, like you, you just, they become household names. This year is obviously different. We are still dealing with the global pandemic and it's going to be, everything's happening in a bubble. So say you're a coach you have to win the games, but you also have to make sure that your your athletes and your whole team's healthy. Like, mm-hmm. how do you approach, what are the conversations like amongst the guys, amongst the coaches, in terms of just like winning both of these battles to just be healthy to be able to compete? Well, and that's the thing. It's, it's expressing to your guys that if you really want to win, if you really want to do something special, it's all about sacrifice. We can say this about COVID and about testing and about not being able to go out. And, well, it really comes down to sacrifice. Who was willing to sacrifice more? Now there's another layer of sacrifice that wasn't there before. Before it was who's going to mm-hmm. who's going to shoot the most in the gym, who's going to study who's going to study the film, who's going to be the most disciplined in executing your game plan, who's going to make sure that they're getting sleep and not partying. That's how you can determine. And when they say it's a game of inches, all of those things add up to inches. And so now you add another layer. Who's going to not be you know going to parties? Who's going to maybe be making sure they're wearing masks? Who's going to be doing that stuff? So when you really break it down the team that's going to win they're going to need some luck on their side they're going to need some good fortune but they're also going to be the more disciplined teams you look at the lakers won the championship in the bubble if someone would have told you at the start of the season pre-bubble that the lakers with anthony davis were going to win a championship no one would have batted an eye but then all of a sudden it gets into the bubble and everybody has to do all of these extra layers and the lakers Mm -hmm. to their credit after being in the bubble for over a hundred days they were crowned the champion it wasn't just because they were the best team it's because they were the most disciplined they did all the things that they were needed to so if i was a coach and i was talking to these kids it's like you can go and do this but that's that could be the difference between losing in the first round or losing in the second round and going to the final four this is a once in a lifetime chance that you want to really and truly just buckle down for another month another month and a half possibly you don't want to leave anything to chance yeah because it could really negate sort of what happens with your career going forward especially if you have one positive test you guys are out of the tournament Uh, and speaking of your career going forward for you Richard when when you were playing you ended up declaring for the NBA draft not long after Uh, what was going through your mind during the tournament in, in terms of how you were thinking about your future and in what way did playing in the tournament sort of influence that decision? Well, you know, we had had two very short, like, like tournament, you know, opportunities the year before. And obviously that year with Lou Olson's wife passing, but for us, it was all, you always want to make it to the NBA. Like w- w- random story, the Olympics in the United States for basketball is like, it's, it's positive. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But if, in the United States, we are trained. If you are a high level basketball player, it is trying to win a state championship trying to win an NCAA championship or going to the NCAA tournament, depending on where you fall and like your Mm -hmm. opportunities and your level. And then an NBA championship. Those are the three things that everybody wants to accomplish when you start playing basketball at 10 years old. So for me to start getting down that route, you're so focused in. We're playing against, I played against Jason Richardson and uh, Zach Randolph and Charlie Bell in in the first. Then we played against other NCAA, other tournament like NBA players. So you're not locked in on the NBA. 
you're locked in on these damn NBA players that you have to guard. And so <laughs> I, I, I think for me individually, the tournament was so much fun because it gave me confidence. We were finally, you know, together as a team and, you know, you're already on the radar, but they're watching how you perform in these moments. So it really can change a person's life, how well you play in the tournament. That's got to be really stressful for a college kid to think we've got all these eyes on us right now, and this could sort of determine what happens with my future. It can. It, it, it determines the type of head start you get, right? If you're the if you're the the, the difference between being the 28th pick and the and the 36th mm. pick is a guaranteed contract of multiple years. So like that's where it can kind of give you a head start. But I still say that cream will rise to the top. It doesn't matter where you're ranked. It doesn't matter where you're this. You know, you see a guy like Jean Morant go to a small school and be the number two pick. Mm -hmm. You've seen guys come out of Duke or Arizona and be the number one pick and not really play well. So, you know, it's all about what you do when that opportunity presents itself. And part of the NCAA tournament is watching how kids handle this immense pressure because once you get to the NBA, it's nothing but immense pressure. Right. And you have certainly done a great job with everything that you have decided to do beyond when you're playing in college and dealing with that pressure. Thank you so much, Richard Jefferson, for joining us. A current NBA analyst on ESPN, former Wildcat, and of course, former NBA champion with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Things turned out pretty well for you. Uh, you know, well, I'm still trying to see how this whole thing is going to pan out, though. Still trying to see. We've got more and more chapters of this book more chapters of this book. So I'm excited that way the first couple ones. That's good. I can't I can't wait to read. Yeah, more more yeah, it will be televised. Don't worry. You don't have to read the book. Watch the movie. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, RJ. My pleasure. Still ahead, we've got Crystal Dangerfield and Donnie Marshall, a pair of former Yukon basketball stars. We have all that more coming up on Ball is Back next. on Fubo Sports Network. Follow us on all social media at Fubo Sports. Follows back and we are cruising right along. Richard Jefferson tipped us off and we'll hear from Donnie Marshall later on in the program. But first, let's hear from our most recent student athlete. And joining me now on the program is a former UConn Husky star and current WNBA Rookie of the Year, Crystal Dangerfield. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. We know that you have a lot of experience with the madness that is March with the NCAA tournament playing for UConn and playing in three different Final Four appearances. And we know 2020 was a year that you didn't play, and we'll get to that in just a second. But right now, what were some of your, your memories, the moments from making it to the Final Four three straight years? Uh, the Final Four is unlike any other tournament I've ever been to. Um, the way that we're treated the second we step down in the state, wherever state it's in, um, how we transport and everything else, the the... Atmosphere is unbelievable. The fans are already there. Um, the arena is, is beautiful. It's breathtaking. They have gifts for you waiting when you get there. And then the, the feels of, you know, you're close to a championship is, is indescribable. And especially being a UConn Husky, like there's so much prestige and, and there's just so much of a following and the history with it. How do you live up to the hype? You know, it, it, can, it can get overwhelming if you 
pay attention to that piece of it. Um, if you take everything, you know, day by day, you know, month by month, and even just year by year, bringing it up, because the team that goes into the NCAA tournament is not the team from uh, years past. So you want to take care of business and, you know, focus on yourself as best as you can. And last year, as we all know, in 2020, there was no tournament. And this was also sort of compounded by the same time, really everything in the world sort of shutting down because of the coronavirus pandemic. Tell me what it was like from a player's perspective when you found out, you know, first it was no fans, then it's there is no tournament. What it was like from your perspective, just, uh, you know, dissecting all of this information and realizing you weren't going to be able to play. At first, for me, you know, no fans. I'm like, all right, as long as we still get to play. Um, but the real gut punch was obviously hearing that the tournament had been canceled. And we all uh, pretty much, you know, figured it would be coming because they had shut down the, you know, postponed the NBA schedule uh, the rest of their season. So we kind of knew that it would be a, a trickle-down effect. And um, we had had the discussion with our coaches, I think, the day of. We practiced that morning. And he, he told us, Coach Ryan told us that we were going to practice until they told us that we couldn't anymore. And then later that afternoon, the news, the news broke. And like I said, it was a gut punch. Uh, it was a numb feeling for me because that was my last chance to win a national championship after going uh, 0-3 for the um, last three years. So it, it hit hard. For this particular team this year, let's look at the fact that Paige Beckers has been incredible and has been the heartbeat of, of this team and, you know, sort of the heir apparent to perhaps uh, Crystal Dangerfield. And when you watch her play, what is something that, that, that stands out that makes her unique that you know that maybe she could become one of the greatest of all time? No, what she's doing, I'm not surprised by. Um, I think the way she plays the game, you know, how much fun she has with it, how much confidence she has in herself, and, you know, it, it trickles down to the rest of the team, and I think that's why they're, you know, so comfortable out there and making what look what you would think would be a hard year, making it look so easy. Even if they did have the, you know, setback at the beginning of the season, I think she's, she's given them a lot of confidence, you know, go for it if they're struggling a little bit to get them an easy bucket, you know, keep the energy going for them, and that's going to be important going into the NCAA tournament. Still so much more to come with Crystal Dangerfield, Donnie Marshall, and Richard Jefferson. This is Ball is Back, College Hoops Edition. Ball is Back on Fubo Sports Network. Follow us on all social media at Fubo Sports. Ball is back and we're in full court press with Richard Jefferson, Donnie Marshall, and Crystal Dangerfield, who is back with me now. When we do look at the bubble, we mentioned the WNBA. You, of course, congratulations, get Rookie of the Year honors. And you not only were able to accomplish that, but you did do it in a pandemic. What were some of the additional challenges for being able to, to get this illustrious award? Um, I I would say like all the time. I think like after week three, everyone was ready to go. Um, it was just a lot, you know, being in the same place for that long, seeing everybody doing the same things. But uh, just to translate, you know, go in the middle of March, uh, your season is shut down. You go, you don't get to finish out the tournament. Um, you're sent home thinking you're going to be only home for two weeks, and for spring break, and they're like, okay, no, you're not coming back at all. Just stay where you're at. Um, the draft happens and it's that's changed where it's online. We're not getting to you know go to New York. Mm -hmm. 
and then we don't get the original training camp that everyone else has gotten. So we're, you know, flying up to our cities, you know, at a weird time, only there for like a week or so. We fly down and, you know, I think we had like a week and a half. So we, that's just to prepare, get to know our teammates and go play. Mm -hmm. And we're playing against pros. So they've been doing this for years. They know how it goes. And it, it was just, you know, by fire, go see what you can do, go see what you're made of. And it just happened, you know, really. Yeah, and you mentioned the draft, and and for you, you know, you're you were the lowest picked draft pick to win Rookie of the Year award. What maybe is there any sense of sort of um, accomplishment in the idea that like you're able to prove the other teams that passed on you wrong when you're able to win that award? Looking back on it, I'm glad I went to where I went. It wasn't really so much about the pick for me. It was just where I wanted to go. Um, where mm -hmm. I fit best, and Minnesota was was the best uh, possible fit. Uh, it's a credit to what my, my coaching staff did for me, my, my teammates, and, and things like that. So the, as much as it is an individual award, it's a team award, we were able to win games, and, and that was the most important thing to me. So Right, and with Minnesota Lynx and with the WNBA, not only were you guys dealing with the pandemic, but we, we mentioned, you know, the term the second pandemic when everything was happening in America in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and the WNBA really stood up and took a stand. What were the conversations? And this is, of course, in in against uh, criminal injustice and against racial inequality. What were the conversations in the locker room amongst the players for Black Lives Matter? Just making sure that that message, um, the message that we had at the beginning of the season wasn't going to get lost as we continue to play games. Um, I know our team specifically, we were having, you know, conference calls, Zoom calls with um, our mayor back in Minnesota, um, the head of the chief of police here. And we were having conversations with them asking what we could do to be of service once we were able to come back to Minnesota. And hopefully we can get to some of that action uh, this year this summer. So uh, it was just making sure that we were staying proactive, staying, um, staying loud with our voices. We didn't want anything to, you know, be covered up. And we, there was another incident while we were, while we were playing. And so we took a day of, you know, just to remember, you know, the people that, you know, have been silenced and be the voice for them. Yeah, it's very powerful. And I mean, I know a number of other leagues took their lead from what the WNBA was doing and what so many of the members and, and the women that were doing that were standing up for this. What do you think then, as a collective, as a team, you guys would like to do to sort of help keep that message going so that it doesn't get lost in, oh, well, we have, you know, a new year and a new season and new problems, but we still do have this problem in America and in the rest of the world, of course. I'm just hoping that we're able to, you know, be in market, be in Minnesota and, and engage our fans as well, because it, every, of course, everything last year, it had to be over social media. We're not really um, going outside due to the pandemic. So being able to be in our communities and, you know, engage people that, that way. And, you know, hopefully uh, our team will be able to put something together uh, to bring out enough people, you know, safely, of course, uh, to, you know, keep that message going. Well, Crystal, we appreciate everything that you've done on and off the court. Thank you so much for joining us here today on Ball is Back. That's Crystal Dangerfield, former UConn Huskies star, current WNBA Rookie of the Year for the Minnesota Lynx. Huge thanks to Crystal Dangerfield and Richard Jefferson. And you don't want to miss another UConn legend joining us next. We've got Donnie Marshall. This is Ball is Back, College Hoops Edition.
Ball is back on Fubo Sports Network. Follow us on all social media at Fubo Sports. Ball is back and the big dance marches on. We've had awesome insight from Richard Jefferson and Crystal Dangerfield. And now let's welcome in another one of UConn's all-time greats. Very excited to welcome in my next guest here on the show, Fox Sports College Hoops analyst, UConn Huskies star, former NBA player, Donnie Marshall. Donnie, thanks so much for joining us here today to talk some college hoops and take some trips down memory lane. Uh, I, did I pay you enough? I think was there there might be two or three more things you have to add in there. No, that, that was perfect. That was perfect. Yeah, this is, this is the time of year, Jules. I mean, it's, come on. Like, if you can't get excited about this time of year for college basketball, then you should be watching another sport. Yes, definitely. This is the time of the year. If you haven't been watching, uh, you will want to watch now because it's exciting. It's do or die. And it's all very different this year. We'll get into that in a second. But for you, the tournament, you played in it in 1995 when you were with UConn. You guys Mm -hmm. made it to the Elite Eight. You know, sadly, didn't go the way you wanted Mm -hmm. to. Uh, Mm -hmm. UCLA beating you, but then they ended up being the eventual champions what are some of your most vivid memories of your time playing in the NCAA tournament? I think we just had this idea of, okay, no one can beat us. We really, that was the time when we started playing at our best. You know, there were games earlier in the season. We wish we had played better. Our, our seedings could have gotten higher, been higher. But when we got to the tournament, everything, it was, uh, it was a new world. It was a new season. It was just a new feeling, you know, and, our, and Jim Calhoun, you know, our, our, our coach, Hall of Famer, right. he did a great job of preparing us, you know, and, and keeping us together. And, you know, we travel so much. You're not going to have your fans, you know, all that those times where he said, look, you were on the road. They're, they're booing you during the regular season. We have to create our own energy. We have to understand that it's just us. This is the only thing that matters is who's in this locker room. So that idea helped us to go deeper in every single NCAA tournament that we were in. And you realize sort of like these guys are so young that are on this stage. And I read an interview that you did where you mentioned that Spike Lee was in the stands at the oh. Big East tournament at MSG <laughs> and how, how cool that is because it's Spike Lee. I mean, he's there yeah. for, for like every game, uh, NBA <laughs> game. And so for him watching you, like that's super neat. And back in 1995, you know, it's still such a big deal. Yeah. But then you look at it today and it's like these kids are uh, superstars or like they're under the microscope of every single person. How do you think like these kids and and also you mentioned coaches, but how do you manage for a month being like the most well-known person in the world? Oh, I think a lot of coaches, they they do a a great job of saying, okay, no more social media. And, you know, that's the, 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 the big difference from when I played is, there's so much pressure every single day, actually every second of every day, depending on what social media outlet you look at. So coaches will tell them, and a lot of coaches do it for the entire season. I know I've spoken to a couple of coaches in the Big Ten and the Big 12 who said no social media. And that's think about mm-hmm. in, today. That's hard because these kids are really there. They're they're in their hotel rooms. <laughs> they can't really do anything. They're trapped. I mean, they're trapped because you don't want them to be exposed to, to uh, you know, COVID-19. So yeah. social media has to be shut down, but they are celebrities more now because more people can get to them. More people can see them, not just sitting mm-hmm. in front of your television, you know, in, in front of a, a black and white TV in the 1900s, like when I played. We actually had color. <laughs> I don't want to age myself too much, but, you, you know, there are just so many more outlets and these kids have so much more pressure. Coaches have done a terrific job. And I've talked to a lot of players um, 
during the regular season and in conference tournament play that have said, you know, we just have to close everything down, shut everything out and just focus on basketball. Because I think everyone knows, Julie, how important it is, especially the players and coaches, how important it is to be playing basketball right now, because we all remember uh, it was like it was yesterday, a year ago, Mm -hmm. At this point, everything shut down, including basketball and the NCAA tournament. So they understand how important it is to really grab a hold of, of this opportunity to be playing. You bring up some amazing points there. Let's just go back to the fact that these guys are, you know, shutting off social media, mm-hmm. it, getting that out of their world. But they are going to be in a yeah. bubble in their hotel room with literally nothing else to do when they <laughs> aren't playing. So then, I, I mean how as a player like what are the conversations sort of like amongst the the guys whether it's in the locker room whether it's in the hotel about kind of just like making sure they deal with covid well but also just like getting through this mentally yeah you know there's so many times as players when you're on the floor your coach says hold each other accountable meaning if if you're not if, if you and i are teammates and you're not working hard i need to pull you up if i'm not doing what i'm supposed to be doing you have to pull me up so this thing just extends into, okay, you're not supposed to be out a teammate. And, and, and I think this is how kids are more mature today. When I played, it was, hey, you, you know, you're, you're telling on me. You know, just, mm-hmm. you, know, don't, you know, don't snitch on me. And it's like, no, no, no. Today they understand, like, every little piece, any little distraction could be the difference in winning or losing a game, <laughs> having a positive COVID test or a negative. So they hold each other accountable much better today. You know, a lot of players have told me, when they've been on campus, because most of these guys have only known the other only other students they have known are their teammates. <laughs> you know, when you talk to these kids across the country. So when they get on, you know, they get in a bus, they get on an airplane. It's a field trip for them because they're out of their room. They finally get a chance to get out and kind of see what what's going on in, in the world, at least for that that trip. So. You know, these guys have basically said, we're going to keep each other engaged. Video games, obviously, is, is always a way you can go. But making mm-hmm. sure you got a teammate's back, even in the, this day and age of, of, you know, mental illness. And mm-hmm. players go through being depressed if they're not playing well, if they're injured. So it's, it's really what's impressed me and I think is so important is how coaches have said, look, it's not just about basketball. This year, more than any time ever. Right. It's about making sure you guys are all mentally healthy. If you see a guy is really down because we have masks on and you can't go yeah. anywhere, pick him up, lift him up. And I, that, that to me is, you know, outside of basketball, what's impressed me the most about how these coaches and players have, have handled this entire season. Right. And just one question on, on the coaches aspect with mm-hmm. this. Uh, you, you mentioned that dealing with mental health as well as their physical health. But the idea that it's, it's you need to get to the game and then you have the game. So these coaches yeah. have sort of a laundry list of things to make sure get done to just be able to play in this tournament. How do you feel they are approaching what is, of course, a super precarious situation? Uh, you know, the, the coaches, in my opinion, have really had to earn their money this year. You know, I, I, and I have obviously being around the game so long, have a lot of uh, close friends who are head coaches at, you know, some at smaller schools, but and some at much bigger schools, but it's all the same story. It's it's all the same. Okay, actually, no, you know, in the past, coaches will say, oh, I know where every one of my players is. I know what he's doing. Might not have always been true. Now, <laughs> that could not be more true. I mean, this is a time where they know exactly when they get up every morning to take a test every single day, if they're going to go back to their room, if there are two or three guys together, we're going to stay. And that's why I think you see a lot of these facilities being built to keep players 
in the facility, not just for yes. because of COVID, but it, you understand that you can, you can kind of, you can keep tabs on them a little bit better. You can make sure they're healthy. You can make sure they're eating. You can make sure everything they're studying, they're doing all the things they need to be doing. So coaches, I think this year more than any have really, really earned their money. I will say a couple of my buddies, I was having this, uh, having this conversation with Tom Izzo during the season. I'm like, you know, I know it's tough, but for coaches and uh, it, it, you guys go home. You know, you guys go home to your beds in these beautiful houses, you know, even, yeah. if it's a, even if it's in a park, these kids are in a dorm. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. there's no one there. So even though, and I was just giving them a hard time saying, look, you know, it's hard for the coaches, but not that hard. It, but, but I think the good coaches understand, you know, that it's, it's so important to make the players comfortable. And Izzo, I know has had guys at his house a lot, you know, keeping the players involved. Coach Calhoun had us and obviously a different time, but, holidays you know guys mm -hmm. who couldn't go home we were always together and uh, it wasn't always at a hotel a lot of times it was at the coach's house so i think a lot of coaches are doing that as well still more to come with donnie marshall crystal dangerfield and richard jefferson this is ball is back college hoops edition on Fubo Sports Network. Follow us on all social media at Fubo Sports. Ball is back and we're getting into clutch time with Richard Jefferson, Crystal Dangerfield, and Donnie Marshall, who has a buzzer beater for us. You mentioned uh, the fact that some of these coaches have had to really earn their money this year. One of them <laughs> just got a very big contract extension from your alma mater, uh, Dan Hurley, going all the way to March 31st, 2027. Mm. What has he done that you've um, enjoyed, that you've respected to resurrect this UConn Huskies basketball program? Gosh, you know, the, the basketball part of it, I think, is uh, the, the easy part because that's what we do. You know, you, you play, you coach, you teach. I think the the inner workings of learning a new administration is really hard, especially an administration at, at, a, at a school that has history that has also had uh, its struggles with their past coach. You know, there, there have been lawsuits and, 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 and money uh, situations and, uh, I mean, attorneys, so much going on because of the deal that UConn had trying to, to settle with, you know, with their former coach, Kevin Ollie. So now in comes Danny Hurley trying to, you know, start fresh, not only start fresh, but start fresh at a school that has a ton of history. You know, the shoes that he has to fill are big because even Kevin Ollie won a national title. So we right. say what we want about, you know, the school fighting with him and it's a whole money deal, which no one wants to talk about. But now even that guy won a national title. So now mm -hmm. Danny comes in thinking, OK, what do I do here? You got to the one thing you got to do is put put your stamp on it. And I think he's done a great job of that. I think he's honest. Uh, he's fair. I know talking to their coaching staff and having a lot of conversations with Danny that he, he he says what he feels. Now, you might not always like it, but Julie, let's face it. I, we want people, especially in this industry, we yeah. want people to tell us exactly what it is. You know, <laughs> sports is not different. You know, sports is the same. Please tell me what I need to do to get better. And and as, as Danny Hurley is taking those steps to make himself better as a coach at an, in a new environment. He's doing it for his players. So his honesty, I think, and, and this that raw kind of work hard, us, you know, it's us against the world. You know, let's let's go kick, you know what, kick bleep. You know, I think that's, <laughs> to me, it's refreshing because that's who I played yeah. for. You know, I played for a guy who was 
you know, most of the words were profanity, so we can't use them on this show, but, but we understood the message. You know, we understood that he really cared about us. You're talking about a father figure, a mentor. And I think Danny has, has really solidified himself of being that same guy that Jim Calhoun and even Kevin Ollie was for the short time he was there. And look, one sign of that is, is a contract extension. So it clearly, uh, somebody, the right people are happy uh, for the job that he's done. You you mentioned the the team that you were on, and yeah. you had very some some very big names on that team as yeah. well. Ray yeah. Allen, of course. Yeah. Take me back to Ray Allen at UConn. What was he like as a player? Ray was uh, was interesting. It's it's, it's funny because he's before I got on with you, he's texting me about we're playing in some Connecticut. He, uh, we play golf, so we're playing in some CSGA events, some U.S. Open events as a nice. team par- partner. So we, we get after it in the summer. So a couple more weeks and my real season starts. My mm-hmm. golf the golf season starts. So, uh, but Ray was it was interesting because when he came to school, he was on an unofficial visit. He was 16 years old, skinny. I mean, he was just from from you know he's he's from we always say he's from the world his dad he's a military brat so they've lived all over the world but he came when he came on his trip he was living in south carolina dalzell uh so when he got there he was wide-eyed and you know they're saying this kid's going to be a really good player never did they mention anything about his shooting ability not once Mm. it was just terrific athlete can run can jump uh, he gets there that so that was he was 16 i showed him around on his visit he ends up coming and I don't even know if he, I don't know how much he touched the ball his freshman year. Because when, you, when you're an upperclassman and you got this young guy that they're talking about, you're not always, you're not always that kind of inclined to be like, okay, come on, young fellow. You're just kind of like, he's got to earn it. I had to earn it. Yes. He's got to earn it. Uh, exactly. Well, he earned it. And he earned it. <laughs> so, uh, and, and then it was just work. You know, it was work ethic. It was, everyone thinks, and he and I had this conversation last week. Everyone thinks that Ray Allen just woke up with a jump shot. And, and you know, they, they think that some of these guys who are playing nowadays, Luca Garza just woke up one day and could post up and could shoot it from deep and mid-range. And, you know, Ayo Dasunmu could run his, run fast and pull up in, in transition. But these guys work, you know. And that, that was the thing that stood out to me with Ray Allen is he was a hard worker. You know, some of the greatest players ever and the greatest player in my mind, Michael Jordan, was the, one of the hardest workers. And, and I, you know, we all kind of playing golf and being around the, the fraternity, you know, MJ, and you know how hard he worked. So it's something that I think is missed nowadays when we see greatness. And, and that's what Ray did. He worked his tail off to become a great, not a good, but a great shooter and a great player. But it was it was fun because we made him earn it. You mentioned some of these greats, and we're seeing one of these greats, actually two of them, coaching in this tournament. Let's talk first about Juwan Howard. You've mentioned yeah. you think he's coach of the year. He's yep. with Michigan. Michigan's back as a number one seed for the first time since the 92-93 season. What makes yep. Juwan Howard a, a good coach? Uh, I think his honesty. I think his, uh, you know, he's he's genuine. There's no, you know, and as, as we saw, uh, when they have the little scuffle against Maryland and, and coach mm-hmm. Turgeon, he's from the South side of Chicago uh, <laughs> and, and raised by his grandma. So when you're, when you're raised that way, I don't think that ever leaves you. I mean, I think I made a joke and I'd sent a text telling him, I said, you've been out of South side of Chicago for a long time, man, but, but, <laughs> uh, and living pretty good, but you always remember how you were raised. You know, you always remember those values that you were raised with. And I think he teaches those guys those values. Now it's a different way to teach it because it's a different mm-hmm. time, 
what he learned in the NBA as a player for all those years, as an assistant coach for all those years, from the mentors that he had, Pat Riley. I mean, he's played with with greatness as well in college. Uh, we know about the Fab Five and their history. And if yeah. you don't, shame on you, whoever's watching this. Uh, but Juwan, to me, is just genuine. He's honest. He's, again, I think it goes without saying to be a great coach, you have to be a hard worker. Um, and, and I will say about Juwan is he never, at least the games that I've called and the conversations I've had, he never compares players to when he played. Uh, he never compares the players and, and saying, well, when I played with this guy, he did this. You need to do that. Because sometimes it takes the air out of you as a player, as a, as a kid, especially. It's like, okay, well, how am I going to live up to that? You know, and right. I think he does a really good job of, of not putting too much pressure on his guys in terms of being great and, and being a great team. Right. Yeah. That'd be a difficult lens to sort of uh, look through and or have being looked through as a player. Okay. To the fab five. Um, you, we also have Patrick Ewing with Georgetown. How, mm. how special is it for guys to be able to, to go back and coach for really like teams and schools that they were the faces of, as you mentioned, your relationship with Jim Calhoun, like mm. it's, it's interesting to see like coaches have such a big impact impact on their players. Patrick Ewing might have helped the situation with with Juwan in terms of hiring your former players to now, you know, lead your team to the success that you had or that or that that coach had when he was a player. So we're seeing that more and more. And with Patrick Ewing, I think because his his journey was different than Juwan's, meaning Juwan coached a long time in the NBA, but you always knew at some point when he was ready, he was going to be a head coach. Mm-hmm. For Patrick Ewing, he was ready a long time ago, but could never get a shot. He never got a chance at the NBA level. And I think he probably said, you know what, let me go and help help kids. Let me go back to my alma mater, uh, Pops, John Thompson, the second we, we call him Pops. You know, John Thompson was uh, was getting older, and I think he wanted to go back and do what I think John Thompson wanted him to do after, after John Thompson's son, JT3, had left. Um, and... To see Patrick Ewing, his growth as, you know, he, we talked about this uh, during the biggest tournament, to see his growth as not just a coach, but as a person. You know, he always, he talks about, you know, getting better in interviews and, and being more open because there's, there was a time, Julie, even when I played against him, there was a thing called Hoya Paranoia, and it wasn't a good thing. It was John Thompson didn't want anyone around his players. They were insulated. They were you couldn't. They didn't talk to media. Uh, there was always this kind of they're out to get us type feel, mm-hmm. and that Hoya paranoia is changed. You know, we started calling it uh, Hoya euphoria, because that's what it is with Patrick Ewing, the first coach now in in Biggie's history to win the Biggie's tournament as a player and now as a coach. There are so many amazing timelines when they won that Biggie's championship on that Saturday that was to the day 49 years ago when they when they hired John Thompson to take that job at wow. Georgetown to the day so there's so many things that kind of those goosebump moments where you're like wow mm-hmm. like how inspirational so to see Patrick Ewing's success and that run that they went on now I, I you know I, I was texting with him a little bit and saying hey the, the thing is going to kill you man and just joking <laughs> but lighthearted is all this time off because when you're hot, you want to keep playing. Like Georgetown wanted to play the next so day, the true. next day, the next day. But that's why you do what you do as a coach, because you have to try to keep your guys, you know, engaged and motivated. Look what we just did. Hey, we could mm-hmm. keep shocking the world. So I, I couldn't be any more proud of Patrick Ewing. He was an inspiration. I'm a fan. Of, I've always been a fan of his. He's one of the reasons I played in the Big East. I wanted wow. to play against greatness. 
uh, Alonzo Mourning, another Georgetown guy, John Thompson. So we've had conversations about that. And um, I just think it's special, Julie. You know, John Thompson passed away in August and and we've asked him multiple times, what would he what would he think of the job you've done? And, and without question, Pat said he would be really proud of me. And you could feel that. Well, Donnie, it's been great hearing all of these inspirational stories. Thank you so much for joining us here today. That is Donnie Marshall, Fox Sports College Hoops analyst, and of course, UConn Husky star. Thanks to my all-star teammates, Donnie Marshall, Crystal Dangerfield, and Richard Jefferson. This is Ball is Back, College Hoops edition. Don't go anywhere. We have one shining moment right after this. On Fubo Sports Network. Follow us on all social media at Fubo Sports. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Ball is Back. Special thanks to our guests, Richard Jefferson, Crystal Dangerfield, and Donnie Marshall for all of their insight into the tournament experience. And be sure to check your listings of when the games are going to be played for the men's and women's NCAA tournament on Fubo TV, as well as follow all of our content on social at Fubo Sports, as well as myself on Twitter at JSB underscore TV. And be sure not to miss my show, Drinks with Binks, Wednesdays at 8 and 8.30 p.m., where I sit down with some of the biggest names in sports, entertainment, and media on Fubo Sports Network. And while you're watching the games, if your bosses ask you to do anything or work during that time, just tell them that your internet is being weird and you'll get to it later. For all of us here at Fubo Sports Network, I'm Julie Stewart-Binks. Thank you so much for watching Ball is Back, College Hoops Edition.